0: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See Site for details.
1: The HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here.
0: The face of HIV is so diverse.
2: The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today.
3: Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County.
0: Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org.
2: Phones to silent, doors to cross-check, hold on to your hats. This is 5 Yard Rush, your fantasy football podcast, with your hosts Stocks, Sparky, Murph, and Nick. Old Rush Nation, second pod of the week and man are we stoked about this one. This podcast is available on every single one of your listening platforms because we like coming at your eardrums from every angle. There's only two of us today, it's me and the big dog Murph, how are
4: you? Yeah, really good mate, it's been a great couple of days. I had an amazing uh, guest lined up and I cannot wait to to get into this and you guys are going to absolutely love it.
2: Yeah, so on Tuesday we hyped it up and... I can officially announce that today's guest is Luke Easterling. Now he's editor of the Draft Wire and Bucks Wire for USA Today, and he's been scouting talent in the NFL for 17 years. Yeah, at this point,
3: I think I'm I'm kind of losing track. But yeah, we're <laughs> we're coming up on 17, 18 years now, I think.
2: Right. Well, it's going to be—I would say us, but it's actually going to be merely just Murph and Luke talking about the Bucks. Then we're going to hit some NFL draft chat and possibly some fantasy players that are relevant in the 2019 draft. Yeah, so Luke, I got to know you
4: through the Bucks Wire, It's how I've sort of come to know your body of work. So if you don't mind sort of telling us a little bit about your amazing story and how you get into it and and sort of what made you start with with Bucks Wire and and writing about the Bucks and and the draft?
3: Well, it's something that's always been, um, even since I was a kid, something that I definitely wanted to get into in some capacity and um, always had kind of Obviously born and raised a Bucks fan, but always had a kind of a, a unique interest in the draft as well. So whether it was the Bucks or the draft, I knew that's something that I wanted to do uh, in the future. And whichever one of those things I could get my hands on first, I'm just, you know, lucky enough to be able to do them both at the moment. But, um, you know, I got into it kind of the old school way. I got, you know, a, a job working at the Tampa Tribune, the daily newspaper down here um, right out of high school and, and made a lot of very valuable connections there, working for a few months before going to, to college uh at USF and you know those relationships that I developed turned into you know further you know opportunities within the sports department a few years later and you know go into Bucks games just to you know help run quotes from the locker room up to the you know the full-time writers up in the press box during preseason games you know anything I could get my hands on uh to kind of get my foot in the door there and um you know just kind of built it up from there I the Tribune at one point let me do a fantasy football column and then they started let me do draft stuff and you know from there uh you know I just kind of took every, every opportunity, every door that, uh, that was open to me to, and, and try to ma- make the most of it. So, um, it's been a long, a long road and a lot of fun, but you know, I, I love, you know, the roles I have now with, with USA Today, SMG and, um, just having a lot of fun, but it, it has been really fun, you know, to kind of take all the different, uh, avenues to get to where I am.
4: It's such an amazing story Um we really, really ourselves want to, to get into that. That's why we do the pod and any opportunities is much harder here in the UK, but you know we do see people out there doing it so it's an inspiration both to, to to chris and i you've you've done that and got such a great body of work so i guess just moving into the the buccaneers then for somebody that hasn't seen for some reason the 2018 <laughs> buccaneers they be living on planet mars or something like that just sort of summarize it for me and, and tell me a little bit about how you kind of view the season's been
3: uh you know i feel like um i feel like it it makes a fan feel a lot like most uh, English football fans feel about their club because I always see everybody just mad at them all the time. Um, and I feel like that's what Bucks fans are. There's so much potential, <laughs> so much talent on paper that you know that if they could just, you know, do X, Y, and Z, if they could just live up to that, that potential and what they're capable of you know they'd have a great thing going but um the the bucks just continue to fall short of those expectations uh and you just have to keep wondering why can't they why can't they do that you know they have the number 1 offense in the NFL right now and they're four and seven I you know I just don't know how to reconcile that obviously you look a little closer you see how often they turn over the ball how often they don't take the ball away on defense uh and the fact that when they get in the red zone uh, they've just had a lot of trouble converting those trips into to touchdowns as opposed to field goals, even missed field goals, made field goals and turnovers. So it, it's just a really frustrating roster because you look up and down and you see the potential, you see the talent, and then you look at the fact that um, just in Dirk Cutter's you know tenure alone, he goes 9-7 and seven the first year, but these last two years have been really tough to watch just because you know what this team can be capable of when they play to the best of their ability.
4: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Seeing the names and the free agents uh, on the squad, Jason Light has has done absolutely everything he can to bring in talent, uh, both offensively and defensively, and the results don't improve. So it's been such a shame. I personally would like to keep Jason on board. But what do you think the the, the sort of downturn in results really comes down to?
3: Yeah, I don't know if that's what everybody tries to figure out. Is it a, a general manager issue? Is it a personnel issue? Is it a coaching issue where they're just not developing uh, the talent that's being brought in and, and I think it's always probably somewhere in the middle I think there's obviously enough blame to go around um, I have really liked a lot of the moves that Jason Light has made in the draft we won't even talk about 2016 those are the dark ages in terms of Jason Light's drafting career uh, with Vernon Hargraves and Roberto Aguayo and Noah Spence who I was really you know excited about but he hasn't really materialized yet either it's other than that I mean you look at some of the guys he's added Quan Alexander was a fourth round pick um, Mike Evans was his first pick ever that first rounder in 2014 and he's already the all-time leading receiver in Bucks history in terms of yards and touchdowns and he will be uh, in receptions. So he'll have the receiving triple crown here probably by the end of the season so and he's 25 years old so I, you know when that's your first draft pick um, you're setting you're setting a, a pretty good bar for yourself but You know O.J. Howard and Chris Godwin in that draft, Justin Evans has made a lot of contributions already, um, being thrown into the starting lineup right away. There's a lot of young talent on this team, but it's about translating that on the field, and that's where the coaching staff comes in. And I just think if I had to pick one side or the other, I'd say the blame for for this team not living up to its expectations falls far more on the coaching side and maybe even the players themselves than the management side and, and what they brought in and the potential that's there.
4: Yeah like I said I, I think I'd really like to keep Jason. I think he's done a, a great job. He's really done everything he can to make this team successful. Yes he's missed on a few picks but who hasn't? But he has assembled offensive and, and defensive talent and I think personally for me it's coaching that's really sort of let us down and for me I think it's just really difficult to watch as, as a fan given the talent that, that we've got. So in terms of 2019 what's likely to to change from this team to, to perhaps make it more successful and, and what do you think will change?
3: Well I think it's very likely that you see a, a complete house cleaning it's uh, at least on the coaching end of things uh, I'm with you I think that Jason Light's at least done enough uh, to to warrant at least another season and he, he did sign a one-year extension before this season uh, for 2019 obviously that doesn't necessarily mean much if they want to change their minds but it does say um, that the ownership, I think, has confidence in him to, to give him another shot. Whether that extends to Dirk Cutter or not is going to be interesting because, um, also, you know, Light did do a lot of good things, but Cutter was also his choice to be the head coach. So he bears some of that responsibility for kind of missing on that if it ends up, uh, that they want to move in a different direction with the coaching. So that, that does go on him a little bit. Um, but I think that if, 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 you know, barring, I mean, if they win out, you know, and you end up, you know, nine and seven. I still don't think that's good enough to make the playoffs. I feel like they're not gonna jump teams like uh Minnesota, they're not gonna jump the Seahawks. Carolinas in front of them, obviously a big game this weekend at home. Uh, but I just don't see nine and seven being good enough to get one of those wild card spots. And if you don't make the playoffs again, I, I even with a strong finish, I just don't see enough uh for them to be able to keep dirt cutter. I just don't see it happening. And I don't see them winning out either. They have some tough games towards the back end of uh, you know, they got Baltimore on the road. Uh, and they have, again, those three division games still left. Um So I, I think what's going to be interesting is what, what route they want to take. They obviously, you know, have an offense that's working, but the defense has suffered. The defense needs to be addressed. Mike Smith, who was fired already earlier in the season, um, you know, was just a complete miss. And, and you know, Cutter, you know, obviously was very close with him from his days in both Jacksonville and Atlanta, um, but it just didn't work out. And sometimes that's, you know, the risk when you, you know, make more of a personal hire, maybe, maybe than, you know, a guy that is a better fit for the system than what you want to do. So if they are going to go in the direction of an offensive coach or say they even keep cutter for another season, the, the most important thing that the Bucks have to do this off season is find a defensive coordinator that's going to get the most out of the talent that they have because the last draft, especially, I mean, you took defensive player at number 12, you took two corners in the second round you know, you really gave the defense a, a lot more talent. They added a lot of free agents, obviously injuries have, have hurt them really bad on that side of the ball, uh, particularly with some of those guys, Vinny Curry, uh, Mitch on Bo Allen, they've all been banged up, but you know, it's going to be interesting. That's going to be the key hire, no matter what happens is who's going to take over the defense uh, and, and really transform that side of the ball. Because if you look at the numbers that the offense put up this year, they, we'd be talking about a completely different Bucks team if that defense wasn't giving up 25, 30 points a game. So that's going to be the key. I, I think we could see a complete house cleaning with a with an increased focus on the defense. But at the same time, you want to keep uh, the offense. You know, with all that talent, all that potential, and all the yards they're putting up this year, you want to keep that intact as much as you can.
4: Yeah, it's a really, really good point. It's, I think it's going to be a showstopper winter for Tampa Bay. See what happens. See what talent comes through, and see who they decide to retain and let go. Got Adam Humphries and Deshaun Jackson, uh, just a few players that potentially could leave or they got free agency up so personally be interesting to see what happens so moving on from the bucks as much as I'd like to talk about it all day your other passion is the NFL draft so I think for our listeners it'd be great if you could give us a 101 on college football Chris has personally admitted on this <laughs> pod a few times to not knowing too much about it and I don't think our listeners truly understand the college university system we say college but university here i mean all all we really get as a a uni sporting event is the uh, oxford cambridge boat race here so tell us about college football and sort of how it works the conferences playoffs where team comes from and where the players come from and how they sort of get into the draft
3: yeah college sports over here especially college football are more uh, probably closer to a religion than an athletic um activity um, people are extremely passionate about their, their schools and their sports. And again, football kind of being the king, uh, of those sports in, in America. It's just college football brings out, I think, the best and the worst in terms of people's passion for their, their, uh, their teams. So, um, I mean, from top to bottom, college sports over here, they're broken up into a bunch of different divisions. Um, you have a bunch of different levels of competition. Um, Broken up into the, the top levels and you know the lower levels. The, the college football that most people refer to when they're thinking about it is what used to be called Division One. Now it's called the Football Bowl Subdivision. I don't know why they needed to make that change. I like Division One and Division Two better. Yeah, um, but this is the, the the highest level of college football is called FBS, the Football Bowl Subdivision, uh, and that's where you have your, your big programs, your big conferences. Those are the ones that are decided at the end of the year with bowl games as opposed to a playoff system. Uh, up until the last few years at least. Um, on, in the lower levels from from what they call FCS, the Football Championship Series, which used to be Division II all the way down, they still have a, a playoff system um, to to crown their champion. College football at, at the FBS level um, has tried over and over to kind of revamp the, how they hand out championships, and the most recent change was to go to a four-team playoff uh, at the end of the season. Uh, to at least give it some sort of you know playoff system as opposed to just ranking everyone and then ending up with the the top two teams that whoever panel of you know experts decided should be the number t- one and two teams playing each other for the championship. That still determines the top four, which go are the only teams that go to the playoffs. So it's still an incredibly flawed system. Mm-hmm. It's very complicated and and kind of frustrating in a lot of ways. Um, it used to be you know heavily computer based. Now it's a committee of people um who just decide who they think the best, you know, 25 teams are, and they take the top four of them at the end of the year and, and put those teams in the playoffs to play for the championship. So, um again, I, I, they keep messing with the system. I don't know if they're any closer to finding a, a better solution. I definitely think if you're going to have a playoff, it needs to be more than four teams. You need to give teams like, um you know, there's a team here, at University of Central Florida in Orlando that you'll be familiar with that hasn't lost a game in two years, and they haven't gotten anywhere near that top four. Uh, because the people who decide who gets in, you know, haven't been impressed with the teams that they've played against and won, as opposed to some of the more well-known schools like Alabama and Georgia and Clemson, and you know, Notre Dame, and those more well-known programs over here. Those are sort of the powerhouse teams uh, that people think of. And, you know, when you have a system where a team can go undefeated for two years and not get any chance at even playing off for the national championship, I think that tells you how good of a system you have and and you don't have one at all. So um, that's a little bit of the basics. Again, it's a very interesting um, thing to observe, you know, from the outside as it really is a very religious thing for some people. They adhere to their, uh, their teams and they, they back them very, uh, very passionately, sometimes in good and bad ways. But the, uh, you know, the, the top programs are the ones you see putting out um, the players that most of the NFL teams end up wanting to go to Alabama and Clemson and those types of programs to pull the best players. But it's always fun for me, one of the best things about the draft is to see those players that didn't go to those schools, that went to the smaller schools and and didn't get seen either coming out of high school or throughout their entire college career, that end up getting an opportunity at the pro level uh, and playing um, a guy like Adam Thielen from the Minnesota Vikings who, you know, could stake a claim to being the best wide receiver in the NFL right now was a complete, I mean, he he didn't exist basically in terms of college recruiting and, and draft and anything like that. And he gets an opportunity at the NFL level and he ends up being one of the best players at his position. So that's what will continue to fascinate me about the draft and college football and pro football uh, until I die is the fact that no matter how much work we put into this, no matter how much we try to find all those guys who are going to succeed, there are always going to be those guys that fall through the cracks and it's just going to keep it uh, uniquely challenging.
4: Yeah, I just find the situation interesting about how teams get into the playoff. From my time at uh, University of Florida and University of Central Florida, it, you mentioned already in terms of that type of system there was the the BCS series around 2002 2003 where both teams both declared they were national champions and there wasn't really a de facto sort of number one national champion it was just very awkward both teams claimed that they were national champions so it's good to see it's changed uh, slightly there is a slightly better process but I do understand to saying it's not perfect uh, that there is at least a, a chance to call a team number one now and a bit of a playoff but yeah, you do get these schools like UCF you mentioned who went thirteen and zero last year, and they claimed to be national champions. They even had the uh, bumper stickers and <laughs> and license plates on it, claiming they were national champions. Which I'm sure, being being around that area, you've seen. It's such a strange time. Do you remember what I'm referring to in terms of the system?
3: Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, that was the the USC LSU year, right? Where LSU ended up winning the BCS, but uh, USC got the. The AP poll or whatever the other one was to uh, to claim they were the champions so it's it, I'm glad when you know that the system is flawed you're kind of happy to see those things happen because it so obviously proves that the system is broken and the UCF thing is the same way you know for them to be able to say hey we're national champions we, we beat everybody we didn't get a chance to show it on the field but we are confident that if we would have you know it, it makes as much sense as Alabama claiming half of the national championships that they had back in the 50s when they were awarded by cereal companies you know so i you know <laughs> it's, if alabama is going to say that they have 16 national champions uh national championships if you want to go back and research where some of those came from then i'm super cool with giving uh, ucf the one they got last year yeah so am i
4: so wrapping up the 2018 college uh season give us uh, a few sort of key takeaways from you watching the season so far and up close and where you're sort of evaluating talent for the 2019 draft
3: uh, you know, this this is a really bad year to need a quarterback as opposed to last year. Um, we saw five or six guys that I think were worthy of first-round picks. We may have one or two this year, uh, and I don't think any of those guys are really like the top five, top ten. If I needed a quarterback and I was picking very high in this draft, I would not be happy. I, I would, you know, do my best to trade back, and, and it's just not worth spending, in my opinion. A top five pick. Still got plenty of work to do on this class, but from what I've seen, kind of live watching these guys just in the games, there's just nobody who's jumped out at me. There are probably four quarterbacks from last year's draft that I would take over the best guy I've seen so far this year. So, um, the 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 weight of this draft, no pun intended, is the defensive line. Um, the, it's going to be an incredible defensive line class, uh, which is going to be good for a lot of teams because if you don't need a defensive lineman, you're going to see a lot of those guys drafted ahead of the guys that you need for your team. So those guys are hopefully going to get you know, pushed down the board. Uh, and if you need defensive linemen, there's so many of them that you might get the sixth or seventh best one in the draft and get a guy who any other year might have been the first or second best. So um, defensive line is definitely where the strength of this draft is. I like the receivers. I like the tight ends a lot. Uh, there's no Saquon Barkley in this running back class, but uh, we could see no running backs go in the first round, but we could still see a lot of guys in, in the second and third and fourth round. Uh, who could be very, very productive right away at the NFL. So that's, that's kind of what I've seen so far from this class. Obviously, a lot of work to do in terms of uh, really digging into uh, the film. Uh, I do my best during the season to not nitpick too much and still just enjoy the games as a fan instead of kind of breaking them down as an analyst you know, until the off offseason. Uh, but from what I've seen, that's where the strengths and weaknesses are.
2: Cool. Thanks. Yeah, you breaking it down has, has definitely helped me and it's... You know, for the first time I've dipped my toes into the college ball game and it's a frightening amount of information to take in just because of the amount of teams competing and some of them will never ever have the chance to compete for the national championship and unlike the NFL where everyone has a chance to get to the Super Bowl, it's mind-boggling. So you breaking it down has helped me and I imagine it's helped our listeners a lot too.
3: Yeah, it's really frustrating because not only do you not know if you have a chance or not, if you're, you know, a team that's not a powerhouse program, you don't even really know how to, how to get there, how to accomplish that because teams will say, Oh, we'll, you know, schedule better teams outside your conference to play so that if you beat them, you know, you get more credit. But the problem is most of those non-conference games that you're allowed to schedule yourself, you have to schedule those, you know, three or four years in advance. And if I scheduled, you know, Florida state or Virginia tech five years ago, that, you know, that might've been a top five team that if I beat them, you know, I would get a lot of credit for that. But Virginia Tech and Florida State don't look like much this year. So if I schedule that team four or five years down the road, first of all, I might get fired by then. <laughs> Second of all, they might not be as valuable of an opponent as they were when I scheduled them. So it's, there's just so many different ways that the system just doesn't work for teams that aren't already successful at the top. And if they really want to to level that playing field, which here's the, <laughs> the, the real reason is here, I don't think they really do. Uh, I think those you know, the reason that they stay with the bowl system is, is because of the, you know, the revenue and the amount of money that it, that it turns out. Um, it's kind of not in their best interest to go to the more playoff uh, centered, um, you know, system as opposed to, because again, every other level of, of college football over here does that and they do it well, they succeed. So there's really no reason why that type of system wouldn't work at the next level, except for the people making the decisions. I, I just don't think want to do it.
2: Man. Man the last man. so moving on to the nfl draft what makes the nfl draft so special and why is it so difficult for teams to draft from it
3: what makes it special is i think that the nfl has finally over the last probably decade or so realized how how strangely attracted to the event their rabid fan base is like i mean the nba draft is two rounds long and it gets some attention in the offseason but There's no pro sports draft or any, I mean, I would say any off season event that happens that comes anywhere close to the spectacle that is the NFL draft. And I don't even understand it myself. I I genuinely don't, I can't tell you why I was so excited when I was 12, 13 years old to get up that Saturday morning and literally sit in front of the television for like 48 straight hours watching (laughs) nothing but highlights and a bunch of old guys talking about them. Like, I don't understand what made me do that and what drew me to it so much, but it did and it fascinated me then. And again, (laughs) you know, I'm the one of the lucky ones that's led to an actual career, but it's, it's just, it's so hard to explain the attraction to the event and why it's become such a spectacle. And I think the NFL particularly over the last two or three years where they've started moving the event, it used to just be in New York. It was in Chicago for a long time and then they moved to New York for every year for quite a while then over the last few years they've started moving it around to other cities it's been to to Dallas it's been to Philly it's going to Nashville in 2019 because they've they've put such a focus on making it such a fan centric event and having all these different things for the fans to do that make it really a, a special place to be so uh in terms of the event i think nobody can really explain why it's so interesting um but if i had to put my finger on it it's the fact that you know people will say the super bowl is the biggest event of the the, the football year but the problem is the super bowl only will ever have two teams in it so you'll only ever have those two fan bases and then the rest of everybody who watches football or even has a passing interest in it just trying to find a reason to pick a team and root for them or just you know come and drink the beer and eat the chili the draft is different because the draft is every team and it's the off season where everybody is trying to be hopeful of their chances for the following season so it brings in every single fan from every single team and gives everybody you know, the, the the one thing I think all people need in every way, which is hope, you know, it gives you an opportunity to come in and say, who's going to, you know, change our fortunes, who's going to, who's going to be that player that gives us that last piece we need to get to the Super Bowl, or who's going to be that quarterback that we get that's going to change our entire franchise over the next decade. That, I think those are the things, the, the hope that it brings to all 32 fan base and the fact that it can um, bring that to everybody instead of just two or three teams. That's what kind of separates it, in my opinion.
4: Yeah, although the New Orleans Saints have done everything possible to be absent from the 2019 draft.
3: Yep, them and the Bears. Every time I do a new mock draft, I literally have to put something in there that just apologizes to uh, the Bears fans because unless I do three rounds, they don't get to play at all. (laughs) I think I'm just going to put in there Khalil Mack every single time. Just remind them, this is why you don't have a pick. You have the best pass rusher in football, so don't cry. (laughs) yeah that's a
2: that's a good move yeah no doubt I watched the draft for the first time this year and it's just the possibility of any team apart from obviously the number one pick who we thought it was going to be Darnold, but it was actually Baker um, they definitely were going to take a quarterback the Browns but other than that it was just the possibility that anybody could be taken by anybody team and player wise so uh, it's up until that last moment that makes it exciting so yeah it's the anticipation of it that I found exciting
3: I think it's not only that. It's the fact that people like me are we spend months and months and months trying to tell everyone else what we think is going to happen and then we're all wrong like all the time. Like that's what throws me off is that part of part of my attraction to it especially now is the chaos. It's it's going into that Thursday night that first round thinking I'm pretty I'm pretty sure I got a pretty good handle on the top 5 or 10 and then after that it obviously gets crazy but it's when you see the moves like uh, a couple of years ago, the Bears trading up one pick to get <laughs> Mitch Trubisky when we really didn't think they were in you know, the market for a quarterback. They had just paid Mike Glennon. Like, when you have the chaos starting at the first or second or third pick and it just has this domino effect on the rest of the draft and everybody's going nuts and everybody on social media and all the experts, it's just it puts us all in the same team of just going, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. It's just so entertaining.
2: Yeah, so who do you think is going to go number one in the 2019 draft?
3: Uh, You know, it's going to be hard to bet against uh, Nick Bosa, the defensive end from Ohio State. I know he ended his season um, with an injury. He ended it by kind of, you know, a lot of people might have a sour taste in their mouth about him kind of walking out on his team. But, you know, he made a business decision. He said, hey, I'm not going to be back until late December, maybe back for the bowl game anyway, which, as we've seen in recent years, we've seen a lot of top prospects skip those games because people have been getting hurt uh, in their last games, and it really impacts your ability to Uh, you know, make money and be drafted and be fully healthy for for the NFL. So I think what Nick Bosa did was say, listen, you know, I love you guys, but, you know, I'm going to do what's best for my long-term health and my long-term security and go ahead and and get ready for the draft. So while some people – I've talked to some people, um, just fans that think that, you know, that's kind of a a black stain on his draft stock that he would walk away from his team like that. I I think just it's just a different league now. It's a different game. I don't think that that people in the NFL that, that make the decisions really view that as a bad thing. Um, and I think if as long as he's fully healthy, I think he ends up being the number one pick. Unless you have a team picking at number one, like the Giants, who don't really need a pass rusher, they desperately need a quarterback. And, and again, this is a really bad year because if you're going to pick any of these quarterbacks over any of these awesome defensive linemen that we have, I, I think it's just going to be a huge reach. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I think after this weekend, I would expect the 49ers to lock the one pick because of the math involved, the strength of schedule. I just don't see them winning another game again this season. I don't expect Arizona to either, but uh, yeah, I, I expect the 49ers to, to have that picked and locked. I'm literally
3: doing one. it right now. I've got a, I'll have a new mock draft hopefully in the morning. you know, at, at number one, it's San Francisco and Bosa, and after that, I have no freaking clue, man. <laughs>
2: So, Luke, you mentioned that you've got a new mock draft coming out tomorrow morning. Um, where can our listeners find it?
3: Uh, yeah, we can find it at draftwire.usatoday.com. That's where you can find all of our draft stuff. Um, if you follow us on Twitter, which is at TheDraftWire, follow me at Luke Easterling. Um, anything that's any of my Bucks wire work, any of my draft Wire work, uh, you'll see it there.
2: Perfect. So, as I'm sure you're aware, we are predominantly a fantasy podcast. Um, And with that in mind, let's break down quarterbacks, running backs, and so forth who are going to be most fantasy relevant for the 2019 draft.
3: Yeah, the quarterbacks are going to be a little more unique because it's so much about where you end up, what team you have. You know, if you have, you know, Justin Herbert from Oregon, if he's the first quarterback off the board and he goes to the Giants and the Giants want to keep Eli Manning around for a year and let him sit. You know, fantasy wise, unless you're in a dynasty draft, that's really not going to impact you much. After that, it's going to be really interesting. Again, I said there's no elite running back prospects in this draft, but there's probably 10 guys who I think they make an immediate contribution. Um, so it, again, it's, it's all about, especially in the backfield, also, it doesn't, you know, you have to land somewhere that's going to give you an opportunity. You don't know who's going to get injured ahead of you. So definitely going to keep an eye on not necessarily, um, who those prospects are now, but more when they get drafted and, what the rest of the depth chart looks like there. But David Montgomery from Iowa state is a guy to keep an eye on at running back. Um, Alabama has two guys, Um, Damian Harris, who's a senior. So we know he'll be in this draft but Josh Jacobs, who's actually kind of the third string running back in Alabama. That's how good they are uh, in terms of recruiting. He might actually end up uh, being one of the top five running backs in this class as well. If he declares he's a junior, so he can come back for a year if he wants to. But um, those guys, there's so many guys, Bryce Love from Stanford, who was a Heisman trophy finalist last year. Um, there's a, a lot of running backs that I think will make an immediate impact just depends on where they land. The receiver class is going to be interesting. A lot of it, today's NFL is interesting because I think you go, we've moved away from having to have that top wide receiver, that number one guy be, you know, Larry Fitzgerald, a guy who's big and fast and physical and can kind of do everything. It's all about just finding guys who can, who can make plays. And sometimes that's, uh, you know, Corey Davis, who's six, three for the Titans. And sometimes it's, Antonio Brown, who's 5'10 for the Steelers, or now Tyree Kill, who's 5'10, 5'11 for the Chiefs. It, it, you know, you're know you putting explosive players in, in places to, to make as many plays as possible, and you don't have to be as kind of a cookie-cutter you know guy as much anymore to be successful. So I think there are a lot of very explosive receivers in this draft class. Marquise Brown from Oklahoma is the first one that comes to mind, who's actually Antonio Brown's cousin um, at Oklahoma. He's just—he's a very small guy, but when the ball's in his hands, he's really tough to, uh, to, to get a hold of. So uh, he's going to be a guy to keep an eye on as well.
4: So at tight end, one guy I've been following closely is Noah Fant of Iowa. He looks NFL ready to me. Do you think there's any chance that he goes in the first round? And if so, what's a, a, a landing spot for him that would make him relevant?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I, one place I think he would do really well is in Cincinnati, where Tyler Eifert's been uh, just injured year after year after year. I think that you know if Andy Dalton is going to be their future or not, uh, he's going to need you know a tight end. He's got some receivers there again. They have John Ross and Tyler Boyd behind uh, AJ Green, so they have the receivers, but they're just missing that tight end piece. I think Noah Fant would do really really well in Cincinnati.
4: Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of his. Been trying to watch more of Iowa and Iowa State this year as they have a few. Draft prospects. Uh, Iowa State have David Montgomery for, for example. The quarterback I'm, I'm sort of excited about is is Drew Locke of Missouri. I know the Bucks have sent scouts to, to look at him. Do you see any situation of him slipping out of the first round and the Bucks giving, giving him a look, uh, given the Winston sec- uh, situation in perhaps like the second round?
3: Yeah, I think you know my, my mantra on the draft is that usually anything is possible. It's very rare that you'll find me say, hey, that's definitely not going to happen. Um, again, this quarterback class is really about who do you like. You could tell me – you could rank the top five quarterbacks in this class in really any order, and I'd probably go, okay, that makes sense, no matter <laughs> where those five are. Um, so if Drew Locke was your number one guy and you were the Giants and said, that's my guy, you know, I see enough in his game in terms of his arm strength and his ability to make plays, and I, I could see that. I, it makes sense to me. If you say that he's the fifth one off the board and he slips to day two and he's on the board at the top of the second round, even in the middle of the second round, I, that also makes sense to me because you've seen him – Struggle with consistency and, and accuracy at times, so there's enough there to make me think that you know four or five guys could go ahead of him. So definitely, the Bucks are going to be a very, very interesting team to watch with the quarterback situation. It's going to have a lot to do with how Jameis Winston finishes his season. Obviously, a lot to do with whether or not he can avoid you know his off-field troubles that have continued to to be an issue, unfortunately, uh, that led to his suspension at the beginning of this season. You know, they're, they've already signed him for the 5th year option on that rookie deal. So he's going to make $21 million next year if he stays on the team. But that that money is only guaranteed in terms of injury. So if they go into the offseason and he's healthy and they really fall in love with one of those quarterback prospects that decides, you know what, we're going, to, we're going to try something else, especially if they have an entirely new coaching staff coming in, they may want to make that move. So it's definitely going to be a very intriguing storyline for Bucks fans this year.
4: Yeah, for sure. I, I can't wait for it personally. I guess we're getting down to the last couple of questions now. Um, so with the bowl games coming around New Year's and the playoffs, not long after that, who, if you could give us a handful of players, could you give our listeners uh, a chance to sort of look at and preview to their 2019 dynasty draft as a, as a result of the bowl games coming up?
3: Uh, yeah. Like I said, I mentioned a couple earlier, Marquise Brown from Oklahoma is very explosive. Um, Alabama always going to have a ton of guys. Um, LSU is going to be a team to watch. Both of their corners, uh, Greedy Williams, um, and um, I can't even remember the other guy's name off the top of my head, but uh, I mean they're just a factory in terms of churning out defensive talent. Devin White, their inside linebacker, uh, is another really, really talented guy. Um, Clemson is always going to have a bunch of prospects. Their entire defensive line should be drafted in the top fifty picks. Uh, you're talking about uh, Calellan Farrell and Austin Bryant, the defensive ends, Dexter Lawrence, and and uh, Christian Wilkins in the inside, which if you watched Clemson play this past weekend, the best play I've seen in college football maybe this whole year was watching on the one-yard line, watching Clemson run a toss sweep to the outside with Christian Wilkins at 300 pounds playing running back and being led into the end zone by Dexter Lawrence, the other nose tackle who's 340 pounds, uh, running Running an outside run play to those guys on fourth and goal and they scored, and it was hilarious watching that much weight move with the ball into the end zone on offense when they normally play defense. I mean, I Watch Clemson play just to see what crazy things they're going to make those big guys do because they, they do it every week.
4: Uh, amazing. So last question. In terms of the Buccaneers, who do you think they will take in the first round, assuming that they pick uh, in pixels around about seven seven to ten?
3: This is going to be a really unique spot for the Bucks because, uh, you know, Brent Grimes probably isn't coming back at corner. So you can probably use another corner to replace him in the starting lineup. Um, they need more pass rush help. Jason Pierre Paul has been, you know, every bit worth the, the third round pick they traded for him last year. Carl Nassib has actually been one of their best additions. They got him off waivers off of Cleveland, but you can never have too many pass rushers. So you can definitely, you know, see them going that route as well. One interesting thing to keep an eye on, though, is Gerald McCoy. Gerald McCoy is going to be 31. He's going to have very little. Uh, guaranteed money left on his contract, which means if the Bucks wanted to make a move and, and get a you know anything in trade for him at this point in his career, it's kind of that that sweet spot where you could still have enough you know potential in him to get somebody to give you a good deal, but you also aren't going to lose much in terms of money that you're already you know you're guaranteed to pay him if you traded him away, and he's going to be you know probably declining over the next few years, so. This draft is a very good draft, like I mentioned earlier, to get a, a very disruptive interior defensive lineman to pair with Vita Vea, their first-round pick from last year. So if there's a guy like Ed Oliver from Houston or maybe Quinnen Williams from Alabama uh, that's still there if they're picking in that 8-10 to 10 range, I, I would not be surprised to see them you know, go that route because of, of the, the depth at defensive line in this draft and because I just don't think Gerald McCoy uh, is going to be playing at that elite level um forever and, and again he's getting into his 30s now and that's usually when you see that drop off so defensive line is going to be a unique uh, position to watch for the bucks there
4: ace that's uh <laughs> that's great analysis uh, i thought you would have said greedy williams uh cornerback from lsu but you've sold me on the need for for line helper. Uh, couldn't couldn't agree more
3: again it's all about what happens in front of you you know you kind of have to have contingency plans and you know, NFL general managers will, will hold mock drafts all you know, through the spring leading up to the draft, trying to play out those different scenarios. You know, if you're picking at seven, you, you, you set the, the first six picks in as many different scenarios as you can possibly imagine uh, so that you can plan for every, every contingency and see who's going to be on the board. And, you know, if, if you have six guys that you want and all six of them are gone, you have to have plans in terms of wanting to move back and trade out of that pick. So, you know, teams are going to look at this from every angle. Um, but I definitely could see the Bucs going corner. I could see them going uh, safety if Deontay Thompson from Alabama is their guy. I could see them going off into tackle because um, DeMar Dawson is getting older and, and he keeps getting injured. So I, there's just so many different ways. And again, if the quarterback situation plays into it, if there's a new coaching staff, that brings a whole other wrinkle into it.
2: Absolutely. Actually, sorry, Luke, I think I, I've got one real quick question that I'd like to put to you if you don't mind. Absolutely. So, on the podcast, we've adopted the Central Michigan Chippewas as the team of the pod, and it's purely down to the cannon reference that the Buccaneers have. They also do that when they score a touchdown. And uh, is there anybody on that sort of middling team that might be draft-relevant in 2019? Uh,
3: you know, I haven't gotten quite that deep into, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> into my uh, analysis so far. This is being any team that can that so can give you Antonio Brown um, is is worth keeping an eye on. Uh, so I'll definitely be uh, be mining the Chippewas for uh, for our next NFL draft, Jim.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, excellent. I, I just thought I'd ask. I didn't think there would be anyone, especially after last weekend's performance, but you know a lot more than we do. So I just thought there might be a sneaky, sneaky little dynasty pick for me there, but obviously not at the moment. So thanks very much for coming on, Luke. It's been an absolute pleasure. I know I've learned a lot. Murph's got to talk about the Buccaneers which I know he absolutely loves
3: oh absolutely guys thanks so much for having me I really really appreciate it
2: we would absolutely love if near the draft you'd come back and when you have a bigger picture of what's going on try and help us as fantasy owners to pick out the real gems of the draft
3: absolutely it'd be my pleasure
2: excellent well thanks again yeah thank, thanks for coming on uh, this has been an absolute
4: blast I've had a, uh, a great time and a great laugh talking with a fellow Bucks fanatic and and, and got a few takeaways and, and uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. So thanks so much for your time. I can't wait for, to have you on in the new year, Wesley, really near the draft season.
1: Hey,
3: time, guys.
2: So, Rush Nation, that was it. Luke Easterling of the draft Wire, Bucks Wire for USA Today. Go find him on Twitter. Luke Easterling is actually a brilliant follow, especially if you're a Bucks fan like our uh, the man over there. Yeah, but he does a lot of college stuff too. He's uh, a big fan of his.
4: I think he does great work, and I think you can see why from the interview that we've just had. Uh, just thought it was brilliant. I've really, really enjoyed that, and got quite a lot to come up. Oh, that's coming up on the on the rearview mirror in the, in the next few weeks. So yeah, we're really excited and can't wait for even more guests and even more insights to get you through your fantasy playoffs.
2: Yeah, for sure, it's going to be a big few weeks for us at the five yard rush studios and even bigger for you rush nation because at the end of the day we do this for you well i'm drinking beer and it's a bit of fun between ourselves but...
4: <laughs> yeah definitely i think it's it's been great and it's really good now that we've are able to get guests on and just share a little bit more uh insight from people that do this for for a living and yeah i'm really excited i cannot wait for uh, luke was i tell you what the best starter that we could have and i know it's not fantasy relevant right now but for those players are perhaps a bit of disillusioned this year I think that will give them a bit of a boost but for those that are zeroed in on the here and now I can't wait for the next three weeks well, well,
2: well, well keep a lid on it son we don't want to ruin it for everybody it's just boiling over I can't <laughs> help it
4: it's like, it's like a pasta <laughs>
2: <laughs> well we better stop that pasta from burning so until next Tuesday Rush Nation it's been an absolute pleasure Murph thank you very much no, thank you it's been great loved it until next week guys don't forget keep rushing